Welcome to Hot Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation, and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries, as well as aha moments to help early-stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe and share this with your friends so others can also find and benefit from our content. Podcast notes are linked in the episode description. Click through for the episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we have curated just for you. Let's move on to the podcast show. Hi, I'm Elise Tan. I'm your host for today's episode of Heart Truth by Vertex Podcast. I'm really glad to have Nikolash Goel, Group CEO and co-founder of Validus. Hi, Nikolash. Hey, thanks, Elise. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you to, for being here. Validus is ASEAN's leading SME-focused, full-suite financial services provider. Their offerings include lending, business accounts, expense management, and corporate cards. Nicholas spent 12 years in private equity and corporate finance across Southeast Asia. His expertise include debt and equity financing for SME companies across various sectors. And he also include portfolio management and value creation. So Nicholas, you know, really happy to have you here. And what's new at Validus? Uh, it's a startup. Something or the other is always new. But what we are really riding high off right now is hitting a milestone of having just crossed US $2 billion of total aggregated lending across ASEAN wow. and having just closed our Series C1 fundraise from leading Japanese and Korean financial institutions. Congrats. Yeah, I think this is definitely a milestone. And I believe that you have left something you know, in order to join Validus. What was that? My journey has been interesting. So uh, the first half started off as a classic Indian story, which is an engineer who did coding for a couple of years and then jumped into finance after an MBA. I started my career with a private equity fund, uh, doing mid-market investing. Out of the blue, moved to Vietnam in 2011, ran the M&A team for one of the largest conglomerates. We raised a billion dollars from bulge bracket firms like Goldman, KKR, TPG. Um, and that's when the entrepreneurship bug bit me for the first time. I teamed up with a couple of ex-colleagues to start an M&A advisory business. Mm. We did deals across Southeast Asia with large names, including Time Warner. But having worked in financial services all my life, uh, you know, there was always something missing. I could create multi-billion dollar businesses by pulling cells on an Excel sheet. But, you know, as cliched as it might sound, I could not sell a pen in real life. <laughs> so when I bumped into Vikas, he was building a brick and mortar tech business, if you can call it. And I just yearned to be a part of it. So yes, I, I did leave a private equity career uh, and an investment banking outfit uh, of my own to jump into this. But uh, um, it's been one hell of a ride. Wow, you have such a varied career path. You know, you have, you mentioned about how you started off as a programmer, engineer, and then look where you are now as an entrepreneur. And when did Validus get started? How many years of startup journey for you? Seems like a few hundred, but uh, Validus was incorporated in 2015. Okay. We actively started lending from 2016. Mm. Um, I think we took a few years to find our footing, really figure out what gets going in this market. 
but it's only been the last three years that uh, we've really started running full steam. So how did Validus get started? Okay, that's an interesting story. So Validus was actually started by my co-founder Vikas. We share the same hometown, Kolkata. Vikas moved here in 2015, started Validus as an SME lending platform uh, focused on accredited investors. Mm. Uh, I bumped into him a couple of months after he started Validus, um, loved the business model, figured it was the right time, the market was big enough, but more importantly, um, he was something that I could work together with. Um, joined Validus uh, within a couple of months of it having gone live. And we've never looked back since. And you mentioned about it being the right time as well as uh, there's a big enough market. So how did you realize that? This is always the tricky problem, right? I mean, everybody speaks about the total addressable market. Yeah. What nobody speaks about is when or how do you time that market. Yeah. So the underserved opportunity in the SME market has always existed, mm. whether it is India, whether it is Southeast Asia or most other developing countries in the world. The question is, when do you decide it's the right time to dive in? And I think that uh, Holy Cocktail is a mix of, is the market ready enough from a regulatory perspective? Mm. Um, sure. I strongly believe that uh, it isn't always about being the first to get in. It's about uh, uh, figuring out what's the right time to get in. So we waited till a couple of other platforms had gone live in Singapore. Mm. We saw that the regulatory environment was uh, getting ready for this business to scale up and jumped in. The second, of course, is trying to figure out uh, in a marketplace, both supply and demand. So while the demand side existed, the supply side, which is where do we get the monies, also had to be in place. Um, Singapore, of course, has a lot of high net worth investors. But what we also saw was with the advent of the Southeast Asian demography, uh, demography uh, a lot of institutional investors were now looking at alternate assets and how to get yield. I think uh, checking off those boxes gave us the right feel that uh, this is the right time and we jumped in. I think that's really smart. I'm intrigued that, you know, you mentioned about the supply, right? And uh, I believe that the investors that you work with are only accredited investors. Are they mostly from Singapore uh, or are there other parts of um, Asia that are also participating in um, the loans and other products that you provide? So when you look at the P2P lending industry, and we are a subset of the same, started off in the US almost 10, 12 years before Validus started. And therefore, we had uh, you know, the opportunity to look at their evolution. Mm. And what started off as a retail asset class, you know, people contributing a few hundred dollars each, ultimately turned institutional. And that kind of business, mm. when it turns institutional, attracts you know, the big dollars, is when you can really scale it up. And we believed that Southeast Asia would go the same way. Yeah. The second uh, thought process was that uh, an institutionally branded business always has uh, a little chip on the shoulder. You know, one, one can always open an account with a retail bank, but as an H&I, you always feel special when you bank with a Julius Baer. And we wanted to have the same positioning. So we became the first platform in all of ASEAN to say that we are open exclusively to accredited investor. Um, while the positioning was beautiful, what it allowed us to do was to screen out investors who, of course, had large check sizes, but more importantly, had the right risk appetite for this product. So that's how the journey started. Um, we tested out uh, Singapore, which, of course, is the best market, given you know just the high density of millionaires around to invest in alternate products. Uh, 
today we are at a stage where uh, we run two models we run a marketplace where not just high net worth individuals but family offices hedge funds and even large banks participate on our platform great the second model is where we have evolved to lending of our own balance sheet mm. so we have japanese payment providers uk based funds and even large names like city who have given us facilities on our own balance sheet yeah. to now start lending and behaving like a full-fledged financial institution I would say that a lot of innovation in Singapore or Southeast Asia, we have actually taken reference from the US. But I think the best, uh, the people who wins are those who manage to make the model more localized, right? Can you share a little bit about, you know, how have you localized the concept to make it work? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, just copying a business model and trying to replicate what works in the US probably works for a very small sample set of businesses. So not only have we localized the model for Southeast Asia, but I would say we have hyper-localized it for every single country. You know, what works in a Singapore will never work in an Indonesia or a Vietnam. So I think the first thing we did was, uh, you know, the investor strategy was, of course, localized. But when it comes to SME behavior, that is very unique in a Southeast Asian country. Mm. Um, for every product, we love starting it off in Singapore. It's a smaller market, it's a well-controlled market, and therefore perfect for experimentation. Once the product works, uh, we take it straight to Indonesia, right? which is a huge market, but obviously with uh, much higher risk parameters across the board. Um, we believe if we can customize the product and make it a success there, then we can easily localize it for uh, a Vietnam and a Thailand. So, so those are the things I think uh, that we've done really well. Um, what has helped us do that is a simple principle that let's create a global strategy, right? So if we create a risk algo, the components have to be the same in every single country. But then when we go to each country, we make sure that the team is 100% local. We make sure that the CEO, chief risk officer, head of sales, our financial services champions or veterans with at least 20 to 25 years of solid SME banking experience in that particular country. Their knowledge and experience helps to localize that model, find the right local variables that tick the boxes or, or fit the algo, um, test it out. And once uh, we believe that the algo or the product is ready for the market, then let's just put our money where you know our mouth is and scale it up. I love what you share because uh, in terms of expansion and localizing, definitely the team hiring someone who is local is so important compared to uh, thinking that you could take someone from Singapore and just plug the person in and thinking the person can get up and ready in a few days. I think that is really impossible and not realistic. Did you start with the right recipe from the beginning, which is hiring locals and then uh, being able to support them with processes so that they can run from day one yeah, what was the hard truth that you discover with expansion? Yeah. I wish I could say yes to everything you've <laughs> asked, but I think uh, the hard truth is no. I can probably write a book about all the wonderful mistakes we've made and we continue to make. But I think that is one of the joys of being a startup that you're allowed to make mistakes as long as they are small ones. Um, I think the first hard truth about expansion is that it sounds a lot more romantic um, and, and easy than it actually is. Um, I remember landing up in Indonesia or Vietnam and then just figuring, okay, how do we start a business here? And in every single country, you're starting from scratch, from incorporating the company to finding the right people, um, 
after finding the right people, actually convincing them to leave a cushy banking or financial services job to joining a startup which probably doesn't even have an office yet, um, figuring out the regulatory environment and getting that coveted license, which uh, often is, a, is an extremely complex process. Um, building trust in that market. We are not uh, a DBS or, or a JP Morgan where everybody knows our brand. You know, we are an upcoming startup. So when we land up in a Thailand or, or a Vietnam, nobody has heard of Validus. How do we convince the local investor to park their monies with us uh, so that we can start lending? And finally, uh, lending is one of the most challenging businesses because, you know, in other startups, once you've made a sale, you know, that's job done. You book the revenue. In lending, that is just 50% of the job. You know, once you've made the sale, which is you've made the loan, um, you have to also get the money back. Yeah. So how do we make sure that we scale while not not losing uh, the monies that we've lent out? Wow, okay, I will, I will go to that later. But, uh, you know, before we go there, I also want to take a step back. When did you know it was the right time to scale up? You know, when did you realize there's a product, the product has been validated, there is a product market fit? That's an interesting question. And this is something that we ourselves grappled with a lot. When do you really know that this is the time to push the pedal and scale up a product? There are quite a few things which need to come together in order uh, for us to get that feeling. And we were actually among uh, the laggards uh, within fintech lenders when it came to expanding beyond their home country. Uh, we didn't get the FOMO because we knew in the end we could accelerate and overtake everybody. Today we do more volumes on a monthly basis than probably the next two players combined. Wow. So what is it that worked for us? I think uh, first and foremost, uh, looking at the demand side, you know, the SME ecosystem, the channel partners had to be ready, you know, to feed the leads into our funnel. Uh, the second was the credit algorithms needed to be robust. Uh, more importantly, we needed to believe in them that look, you know, uh, managing $2 million of origination a month and keeping NPLs low is okay. But can we do the same when the numbers become 100, 150 million a month? Um, the third was uh, making sure that the other side of the marketplace is is as ready and robust as it can be, which is the monies. Um, you know, the high net worth uh, population is good if you want to build a book of, you know, 20, 30 million dollars. But when we are speaking about hundreds of millions of dollars, the institutions have to step in. And, and that takes time, that takes building uh, a credible track record. And finally, and most importantly, what doesn't really get spoken about is the backend systems, processes, operations. You know, we are a financial services business. Uh, we are allowed to make mistakes, but we have to comply with regulations. We can't really lose people's monies um, for mistakes made in our backend. Um, and that was uh, kind of a magical moment when uh, things started to come about. I think there is no real... Uh, uh, checkbox that everything is ticked. Uh, you just know that the time is right. Uh, we can now take something and really start running with it. Yeah, I think the hard truth about running a fintech company is really, you know, compared to other startups, there's a limited margin of error tolerance. You know, when COVID-19 happened, uh, there were a lot of uh, pundits and gurus who said, oh, these B2B lending businesses will completely fall apart, etc. And, and we were scared. I remember it all started around March, April. So roughly when uh, Q2 came about, that is when we took a really good hard look at our portfolio and we said, wait, you know, the reverse is happening. Banks, uh, financial institutions have taken a step back. 
everybody's figuring out how to work from home demand has gone through the roof interest rates have fallen investors are crying out for yield and our portfolio is holding good we said you know maybe this is the moment let's accelerate and i think uh, since then uh, we have not looked back uh, our indonesia business has scaled up almost 50x wow. in monthly volume since the beginning of covid till now that's incredible and what's your grand plan for validus uh the grand plan i think the grand plan is to break even and become profitable i think that's that's the holy grail i know that's what um, the world and the investor community is speaking about now but even uh, a couple of years back when uh, the buzzwords were hyper growth and blitz scaling i think we were the only ones um, who would always tell everybody that we do not want to be the fastest growing player but we do want to be the last man standing our biggest market indonesia is already profitable we made uh, a little under half a million dollars of profit uh, last year congrats and thank you and and we uh, are pretty confident that we will be profitable at a group level uh, by the end of next year i think when a business stops relying on vc money when it actually starts churning out uh, hard cash i think that is when at least you know for me a business can be considered successful Definitely, and uh, in our previous episode, we actually interview uh, Ben Matthias, our managing partner. He also mentioned that there are a few of our portfolio companies like Validus, which had actually grown more steadily despite you know all the crazy growth that other startups um, could be looking at previously. And I think we want to actually learn a bit more about Validus products and how you guys are serving the SME market, helping them enjoy more services and maybe even grow their businesses across Southeast Asia. Absolutely, I think it all started with uh, a vision saying that can we finance an SME company uh, quicker than what uh, it takes for a bank to print a form and give it to them to fill, which means can we make lending decisions in seconds? Can we finish the process in minutes? And can we put monies into the hands of the SME entrepreneur within a couple of hours? We started off with a safe and secure product, which was invoice financing. Uh, which is discounting invoices that SMEs may have to large corporates. Once that model worked, we went to the other side of the supply chain, which is financing distributors because distribution chains in an Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand is pretty complex. There are a lot of actors that we can finance. Um, eventually, bundled it all together into working capital products. Today, we've reached a stage when an SME comes online to us to apply for a loan. They give us just two PDF documents, which are read by a machine, and there is an instantaneous approval or rejection process, where it's the machine that determines the approval, the quantum of the loan, and the pricing. And we've taken it to a step further, where uh, we were disbursing a little under two hundred million sing a month of loans to thousands of SMEs across ASEAN. Mm. So we asked ourselves, why can't we open an account for them, disburse the loan to that account? Give them uh, the tools to spend the money, which could be bank transfers, which could be cards, spend management, forex, insurance, whatever they need. Where we make not only fee-based income when they use our products and channels, but we also get data on them. The data feeds back into the algo, uh, which in turn allows them to borrow more from us. Um, so that was uh, the thought behind launching our neo banking product or or banking as a service, and that's taken off really well. So, so today we are not just a fintech lender, but we are a full 
fledged or full suite, full stack financial services company. We started off at a stage where every incorporated company was eligible. And when I look at the portfolio, there are services companies, manpower, security guard companies, nail salons, restaurants, coffee shops, you name it. Wow. Okay. But uh, uh, approximately 70 to 80% of the businesses in ASEAN mm. are actually what are called household businesses, mm. which means this is an entrepreneur or a family doing a business without even having a company. So can we go and finance them? So today, uh, very proudly in countries like Indonesia, Vietnam and Thailand, we are even lending to household businesses mm. where there is no company, but there is a family or an individual running a business and, and they qualify for working capital just like any SME in any developed market. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Can you tell us, prior to companies such as Validus, what was uh, running a business like for MS SME? You know, we, we keep talking about how life is tough being a startup founder or for a startup. I think life is tougher for an SME. If we take away maybe 10% who are really successful, the broad majority of SME owners are uh, spending half their time just firefighting mm. and half their time trying to run, grow the business. Uh, and, and, you know, they are facing challenges on a daily basis. Imagine if an SME needs to change their bank token. If they need to get a loan, they are walking into a bank branch. They don't have a priority counter to go to, which means they queue up, get a token, wait for hours, speak to somebody, fill a form, submit documents where you know something is always missing or outdated, resubmit the documents, wait wow. for an answer. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and this is all the while while you are trying to keep your head above the water and continue swimming. So we want to start by financing SME businesses so the entrepreneur can grow the business hire more people, um, impact the lives, not just of the employees, but their families, their suppliers, which means, uh, you know, we just give them more time, either to spend more uh, time growing the business or just back with their families. Yeah, I think what you have actually changed is really the time needed in order to uh, run the business, as well as the access to capital. So it's not just capital. Can you give us some numbers, you know, how many SMEs you are serving as well as kind of average loan amount that has been dispersed? On a monthly basis right now, we are disbursing just under 200 million sing of new loans every month. Mm. Uh, these, uh, the number of SMEs is in thousands, but uh, we just generally don't publish the exact number of SMEs. Yeah. Um, the loan quantum varies by product and by country. Mm. So when I look at Singapore, uh, the average loan size would be anywhere between 100 to 150,000 Singapore dollars per SME okay. uh, with, with a big variance. The smallest loan size could be 20,000. The largest could be maybe half a million dollars. As we move to an Indonesia and Vietnam, uh, the average loan sizes keep falling. Mm. So in Vietnam, an average loan size would be anywhere between uh, 10 to 50,000 Singapore dollars or, or equivalent in local currencies. Wow. I mean, all these are sizable numbers because, I mean, if you look at uh, in terms of what, uh, how big the business is or why is the cost of living, yeah, these are sizable numbers. So great. It's great to know. So, so Nikolash, any hard truth about lending money via, you know, maybe an automated system or to your customers? Anything to share? It takes a lot of courage. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to I mean building an algo is the easy part which is just a set of rules uh, you know put into a, a matrix on the basis of which you lend 
but it takes a lot of courage. Uh, I I do remember the first time we rolled out an automated algorithm. At the end of the week, uh, we found that there were two loans which had been disbursed, mm. uh, and nobody knew who these borrowers were. We we had the names in in the system, but nobody in in the operations team, nobody in the sales team knew who these borrowers were, um, what business they did, and that is when we realized that wait, you know, the business has truly, truly gone digital. Um, the second is convincing the entire ecosystem that uh, this is how uh, the business needs to get to. When I when I talk about the ecosystem, um, it's mainly the lenders. Imagine trying to convince an institutional lender that there is no human being looking at the financial statements, the documents that you are not even collecting the documents that a bank would collect in order to make this lending decision. we we are expecting we have convinced institutional investors to park hundreds of millions of dollars with us uh, where we are making lending decisions purely using alternate data and uh, while this sounds great it takes a lot of convincing and a lot of hard work to to make the ecosystem believe in this but uh, like they say nothing works better than track record and numbers yeah definitely is there a particular case study that you know where validus has changed the life of the business oh absolutely i mean uh, i know we don't talk to borrowers you know while making lending decisions but we do talk to our borrowers to understand what are their needs how can we develop better products and there are numerous businesses that uh, you know have come to us and expressed how we've made a big difference um there are businesses around manpower services where they employ maybe uh, a few hundred or a few thousand contract workers but imagine during covid when projects were suddenly put on hold you know the business stopped making revenues but they had to pay their workers oh, yeah. right so that is where we came in or imagine uh, a restaurant owner or or a food shop owner who wants to add uh, another few outlets but has nothing to pledge to the bank uh we have financed businesses uh, yeah, including uh, primary schools you know for or or kindergartens so um it's it's often uh, very heartwarming to see the impact that we create when people come and tell us that look you helped our business survive or you helped us uh, double the number of people that we have hired um and then when we start to compound that thinking about look the number of jobs that were created the families that were impacted it's a pretty warm feeling Actually this is where we branch away from the pack a little bit where we don't brand our business as an impact business. Mm. Because yes our business creates an impact we we touch lives we we create employment do nation building but at the end of the day we generate yield for our investors. And it's good if a business that generates yield also does impact but a business that just creates impact but doesn't make money probably will not last the, the test of time. I think the last 5 or 6 months were very interesting where every single asset class was uh, in the red you know in uh, with complete uh, as a complete cohort you know whether it was equities bonds uh, coins etc and and during that period when an investor's entire portfolio is in the red if we are the only one still generating you know that stable 7 8% dollar returns uh, that's when people look at us with new found respect got it Okay, I just want to know more about your childhood. You know how you are as a person. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about your childhood? 
How is it like growing up? Yeah, I think you know different people um, would have different classifications of their childhood. When I think of mine, I think it was perfect. I never grew up in a privileged childhood. We were a classic Indian middle class family. Um, there was pressure to do okay in studies, but never really be at the top of the class, which I never thankfully found myself in. Um, so when I think of my childhood, most of it was spent playing cricket on the streets. Mm-hmm. Most of it uh, was spent uh, traveling around uh, India with my parents, um, and and just beautiful memories. So if okay. I if I yeah if I think of a perfect childhood, you know, it is just uh, not really having any needs and and just being happy. And you mentioned cricket. I think I read somewhere that you compete or something. Can you tell us more? Yes, I've played uh, competitive cricket at various levels growing up. I, I do believe that you know team sports are very important. So I've played for school, district, college. I, I continue to play uh, division cricket in Singapore. I've broken fingers on both hands, but uh, that's okay. There are other people in the company who can do the typing now. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing with us. So before we end, I also want to ask you what has been a hard truth being a founder. Ah, uh, I think there are there are a lot of hard truths, right? Uh, I think preparing to being uh, becoming a founder is like trying to learn swimming or driving by reading a book. You can know all the right things to do, but till the time you dive into it, you just don't know what it feels like. Um, I do believe that um, this whole notion of entrepreneurship, being a founder, is is a little over glamorized or over romanticized by you know the plethora of media. The reality is that uh, it's a lot tougher. It's very lonely. It's very tough when uh, things are going good. Uh, Everybody is with you. You're on top of the world. But uh, the moment the tide turns, and and the tide turns every three months or so, mm. uh, you suddenly find yourself to be very alone. You cannot share it with the teammates. You can't share it with customers, with investors, um, and that's uh, when um, you have to really find the right ecosystems to support you. Got it. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, my next question is gonna ask you how do you. Uh, manage it, you know your emotions and all that when the tide turns against you. But I, I guess the other issues that can be come up is uh, you don't know who to share with. You know who could be your um, good friend. How do you do that? How do you find the right person to share? Oh yes, I think this was one of the biggest learnings, right? So in my case, uh, I guess you know we are we are lucky that Validus is not a single co-founder company. So at least you know between Bikas and me, there are ideas, problems. Uh, sorrows that we can we can share with each other uh, the second is i think having the right uh, network or community to share this with you know like i said you can't share it with uh, your investors or customers or or team members but there are fellow founders you can share it with right mm-hmm. um, i i do have a couple of founders who i consider friends mentors and one of the best pieces of advice i got was look every time you take a, a blow to you know the chest um yes you will feel like you know just like giving it all up and lying down and it is perfectly okay to do so as long as you get up in an hour <laughs> yeah that's a great one and if i may you know kind of connect it with your childhood i feel like um your parents you know has allowed you to be who you are to enjoy um both work as well as play and then you also build yourself an environment where it allows you to be who you are and uh, being kind to yourself as well and i think that's really important in a really fast paced rapidly changing environment like running a startup so with that 
you know, I thank you so much for your time, Nikolash. I really enjoy, you know, uh, what you have shared with us. So hope to see you again. No, thanks for this. Uh, best wishes for the podcast. And I can't wait to hear all the episodes once they come out. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.